If you send your child to Caesar, he will end up a Roman. The choice, though, can often be exceedingly difficult, but it is up to you. Hi, friends, and welcome. I'm your host, Amy Liz Smith. I'm a homeschool mom of three and have homeschooled each from the start. While I have a master's in elementary ed, I want to teach other mamas that you don't need a fancy degree to have the passion and knowledge to successfully educate your children from home. I hope to bring you encouragement to jump in and start your homeschool journey and provide my absolute best recommendations to help you begin your homeschool journey. Thanks for joining us along for this crazy, messy, grace-filled, homeschool ride. Hi friends and welcome back. We are so excited to continue our series on the top reasons why you can homeschool. Today we're going to be talking about the public school system and how that is not for your child. We're going to be going extensively into the history of public school And this is just a summary of what the public school education looks like and how that can affect your child. In the 18th and 19th centuries, students were educated at home or in small one-room schoolhouses. In the South, it was more spread out and there were less educational opportunities for poor whites and little to no opportunities for blacks who were still in slavery. Throughout the 19th century, former enslaved persons were beginning to create their own schoolhouses. There were individual schoolhouses with a single teacher, and often siblings and many age groups learned together. In the mid-19th century, the U.S. began establishing compulsory education for children. Horace Mann, who is often called the father of American education, was Secretary of Education in Massachusetts. And he pursued significant educational reform and wanted a unified curriculum to be established. Mann helped implement the first statewide public school system in Massachusetts in the 1830s. Education went from a foundational place of teaching of moral values and a structure of wisdom and liberal arts to becoming a place where the goal of socialization and secularization within a social society was pursued. John Dewey impacted this educational theory in the 1900s. He felt we must look ahead and not turn back to ideas of our past. This was an idea called pragmatism, and it turned away from classical thinking. Alberto Piedra writes in the the tragedy of American education, the role of John Dewey. He wrote, and I quote, Dewey's ideal educational system lacked the teaching of basic academic skills the respect for a teaching authority, and the belief in a moral order. Thus, relativism takes its place and becomes the ethical norm of conduct, end quote. This influence then will perpetuate into all aspects of one's childhood and then on into adult life. And this new relativism or pragmatism will affect their choices and influence them for things like medical care, nutrition, religion, one's own personal relationships. Christopher Dawson in The Crisis of Western Civilization reminds us that, and I quote, in Dewey's view, our purpose for education is not the communication of knowledge, 
but the sharing of social experience, so that the child shall become integrated into the democratic community. He believed that morals were essentially social and pragmatic, and that any attempt to subordinate education to transcendent values or dogmas ought to be resisted. R.C. Sproul, in his book, The Consequences of Ideas, noted that, I quote, in carrying out pragmatism's program, John Dewey succeeded in revolutionizing our public school system. How Dewey framed these progressive educational theories as a means for social justice was rooted in man's actions in Massachusetts. Maintaining and enforcing a public school system, Dewey insisted, and I'm quoting, that concerns every citizen who cares for the establishment of a truly democratic way of life and should be taken as seriously as man took it during his time. Now, man, growing up in Massachusetts, which was his birthplace, and that was the common school was established in the 1600s. Schoolmasters were paid by taking up a collection from each group of households where their children were going to be coming from. But man championed schools as foundational for democracy, and he often, and he's famous for this, riding around his state on horseback, implementing his ideals into these schools. An essential part of man's vision was that public schools should be for everyone and that children of different class backgrounds should learn together. He pushed to draw wealthier students out of the private schools and establish, quote, normal schools to train teachers and have the state take over charitable schools and increase taxes to pay for all of this. Now, he succeeded. By the early 20th century, all states had free primary schools paid for by taxpayers that students were required to attend. And since the early 1900s, most U.S. citizens have accepted the establishment of this public government school as being for the better good. We can certainly acknowledge that accessibility to learning for our children is a good thing. But when the government replaces the parent's authority in their child's education and takes complete control over what is taught, and how it is taught, this becomes extremely muddied. It is also very important to note, because many reformers today like to credit Mann and Dewey with the integration of schools between different socioeconomic communities and minority communities, that it was actually not the government that fought to allow blacks in school alongside their white peers. In fact, during this time, even in the North, the governments were still against integration. Instead, it was the abolitionists and teachers like Prudence Crandall or poets and writers, activists like John Greenleaf Whittier and heroic abolitionists like Booker T. Washington, Frederick Douglass, and they dedicated their lives to prove that black children deserved education and deserved an integration into society. Thirty years ago, John Hood wrote an article on the failure of American public education, and he stated that proponents of government-mandated schools will state that desiring an educational alternative for your children is a rejection of a diverse society and an effort to segregate groups by class or race or socioeconomic status. But seeking out homeschool or private school is not a rejection of diversity. It is choosing the best alternative or a better alternative for one's own children. 
And these same parents would argue that all parents and families and children deserve to have that choice and to have that accessibility to an alternative. Certainly, we can acknowledge that public school is often the only physical safe place for many children across our country. And sadly, this is the harsh truth. Schools have become a place where sometimes a child's only meal will come or warmth will come. But this terrible reality does not negate the fact that every child deserves to also be challenged and every student deserves to have the opportunity to excel and have their curiosity sparked in education. Today, more recently, more parents are questioning the government system, the abhorrent way that children were treated by the teacher union complex during the coronavirus pandemic opened many parents' eyes to the fact that the union's needs were put above children's needs. Pragmatism ruled the day, and not the essentialistic concept that children actually need to be learning. And we saw contradiction after contradiction. Children need to be out of school for everyone's safety. And then the argument that teachers in public school is essential. And then they argued that children experience no backward educational slide in student performance. Why do we insist that our public school identity, as envisioned by Mann and Dewey, must continue if they are sorely feeling at their sole purpose, which is to educate and prepare young men and young women for fulfilling lives in an honorable society? Certainly, public education for the public good and for the underprivileged should be a positive and noble endeavor. But how and why have we as Americans and as the American government school system gotten it so wrong? The lockdowns and the pandemic simply put these problems into a glaring light, and more are asking these questions. Again, we have to look at history to know how it went wrong. Now, the content of education switched in the 1900s from the liberal arts of the classical Western world to instead focusing on process and critical thinking skills and a disdain for authority. Martin Cawthron of Memoria Press, in his article, War on Knowledge, wrote about what education used to look like, and I quote, A classical liberal arts education consists of a solid grounding in intellectual skills of the liberal arts, guides students on the ability to think, and aids in their own cultural heritage through reading classical literature and Western history. In so learning, children turn into responsible adults who are given the knowledge and ability to make wise judgments as they pursue life as citizens and voters. Throughout the 20th century, every 25 years or so, the educational elites decide to reform education with their thoughts of integrating nonsensical buzzwords like collaboration and critical thinking skills into every aspect of every American government school classroom. As a means to de-emphasize rote learning and emphasize creativity, collaboration, and critical thinking skills, these reforms are always marketed as new and improved educational thinking, but they are the same pragmatic philosophies that Dewey touted in the early 1900s. I'm going to quote Mr. Cawthron again. These changes, the backing away from basic skills, classroom methodologies that took the teacher out of the role of directing the classroom, the shift from tried-and-true disciplines toward hands-on methods, and the abandonment of traditional methods of knowledge acquisition and a curriculum, all of these, parents were told, would help the acquisition of knowledge. 
parents were told that these, quote, new practices were research-based and based in science. And if parents only knew what the experts in colleges of education knew, they would be assured that this was the best way to educate children, end quote. So when I was studying to receive my master's in elementary education at the University of Michigan, I expected to learn the basics of what every child should come out of elementary school knowing. Wisdom, knowledge, truth, the classics. Instead, I learned about child psychology, how to facilitate a group project, how to manage a classroom with respect to every child's autonomy. Teachers are no longer taught the basics of liberal arts, and this has been going on for a long time. They're not taught the essential goals of learning. Cawthron writes further in his essay that because of this emphasis on the how of education rather than on the what, we are not passing on our culture to our students, nor are they acquiring the basic linguistics and mathematical skills they need to do well in their lives and occupations. American children don't know basic facts about history, geography, and literature, and don't do well in mathematics in comparison with many nations, which ironically, they stress rote memorization and drill and practice. Our educational establishment, the one that we have charged with transmitting the acquired knowledge and wisdom of the ages, is, it turns out, not very interested in doing this. It is interested instead in learning styles, projects, unit studies, child-centered learning, learning centers, critical thinking skills, and in liberating students and not familiarizing them with our civilization, end quote. Today, there is an emphasis on process over content in our failed educational system. Now, as a side note, early childhood development and education is quite different than this, and this is not what I'm referring to here. We will have a topic of conversation on play and the importance of play in early childhood. But we want children to think, but we are not giving them the knowledge and the wisdom for what to think about. If they are not taught basic general knowledge, then what are they actually learning? Educational consultants swoop in and tell lawmakers the changes and transformations that are needed to make progressive reforms, usually emphasizing the latest trends or having an increase in critical thinking skills. The educational system takes our tax dollars, constantly improves things while the actual students are not learning. Cawthron continues, and his articles are amazing in Mormoria Press. I highly recommend you grab their Classical Teacher magazine that you can get for free at memoriapress.com. But he reminds us to look at the past, okay? In the 1990s, when whole language instruction was taught instead of phonics, teachers were not only no longer allowed to teach formal grammar and spelling, they were not to correct their students' papers for these things because that would stifle their creativity. Teachers were not to stand up in front of a classroom and teach, but they were to play the role of facilitator in the education of the children in their classes because children needed to be, quote, active learners or, quote, passive learners rather than passive learners. And students were supposed to choose what they learned from learning centers rather than have a teacher directly tell them what they're supposed to do. The very structure of the classroom was to be changed. No longer would there be rows of desks, a physical arrangement that bespoke order and individuality, 
Long tables were installed so that children could collaborate in groups. Individual subjects were out to. Projects and unit studies would replace them. The rote memorization and the boring drill and practice were to be abandoned. The abandonment of the traditional curriculum, the shift from classical literature to amorphous books by unknown authors and the neglect of the standard history curriculum. Catherine, in War on Knowledge, discusses the Cardinal Principles document and Kilpatrick's The Project Method, which were written in the 1920s and 30s. He states that before these were published, there was a system of education that did see it as its job to pass on our culture. It knew that memorization and drill and practice were not boring, but exciting and valuable for young children. It saw that the teaching of literature and history, when properly taught, were not only interesting, but exciting to students. It was called classical education. But after these pragmatic reforms were introduced, the liberal arts drastically suffered. Now, Charlotte Mason, a huge proponent of educational accessibility for all children in the late 19th and early 20th centuries in England, stated that each child who is a person and a sense maker has the right to gain understanding in the knowledge of the world, the knowledge of man and the knowledge of God. She wrote in her volume six, Philosophy of Education, I need not waste time in attempting to convince the reader of what we all know that a liberal education is like justice, religion, liberty, fresh air, the natural birthright of every child. Neither need we discuss the scope of such an education. We are aware that good life implies cultivated intelligence, that according to the platonic axiom, knowledge is virtue. Even though there be many exceptions to the rule, educated teachers are not slow to perceive the part the humanities play in a worthy scheme of education. But our government school system is a result of the pragmatists who continue to tout the theories of Dewey. Instead of the goal to teach children the basic skills of reading, writing, and arithmetic, wisdom and virtue through literature and history, and advanced intellectual skills that can only come from the liberal arts, reform after reform, tax after tax, our children's hearts and minds and futures are at stake, and they are so, so compromised. And to what end? I know that as a parent... I'm not going to allow my child to be victim to these reforms. Today, we face far more difficult challenges than ones in the past. Not only are we refuting absolute truths, we are now in our public school system, in our culture, we are completely reversing truths. The educational system can do that. Society can do that because the groundwork has been laid in the last century. I am so grateful that we have a choice. We still have the choice of what we want our own children to learn. If you send your child to Caesar, he will end up a Roman. The choice, though, can often be exceedingly difficult, but it is up to you. My prayer is that if you desire to get your child out of the pragmatic government schools, that you would have the ability to do so you would be able to just fulfill your child with that sparked curiosity that they need and fill their hearts with the wisdom of old and the books that can develop their character. 
I hope that that was valuable to you. For, I know it was for me to look into the history of public schools and to really fully understand what has now happened and how it is just catapulted into farther and farther away from the biblical truths and the absolute truths that are the foundation for the family and for society and for everything as we know it. Thank you so much for joining us. Please make sure to head on over to the show notes of this episode so you can grab your Simple Start to Homeschool guide. This guide is full of free and easily accessible resources to make your choices in homeschool as simple as possible. I've taken my many years of knowledge and experience and I've put them into this guide. So head on over to the show notes. Click on the link and you can have it sent right to your email right now. Grab that for free for a limited time and let me know what you think. If you've enjoyed our show, please give us a five-star rating and review the show. As you know, we are just starting out, so we want to impact more families about the importance of homeschool because our goal is to make home education more accessible to more families. And your five-star rating and review will help us make that happen. Thank you so much, friends, and we'll see you at the next episode.